continue our journey to the book of 1 Kings, and tonight we go into 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 2 right here. There we go. Let's look at verse 1. And a few, let's read a few verses here. And tonight's uh, message is passing the baton. Passing the baton. Look, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth, be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whatsoever thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, they shall not fail thee, saith he, a man on, on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also that Joab, the son of Zeruiah, thank you, brother, did, uh, did uh, to me and what he did to the two captains of, of the hosts of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto uh, Mesa, the son of Jeter, uh, uh, also he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood, the blood of, of war upon the girl and upon the, uh, his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. It says in verse 6, Now therefore, according to thy wisdom, and let, and let not thy work had go down to the grave in peace, but show kindness unto the sons of Bezalai, the Gilatite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. So, for so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, thy brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this uh, passage of Scripture as we look at First um, Kings chapter 2 and uh, make our journey through the book of First Kings, Lord. I just pray tonight, in the middle of the week, Lord, that give us something we can really, Lord, apply to our lives. We can take it Look from your word, and we can go on and live it in a world that desperately needs you, Lord. Father, we need instructions from you tonight. We need your word to guide, guide us, each one of us here. And I pray, Father, that your word will penetrate people's hearts tonight in a very special way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, passing the baton. Let me tell you something. We, <clears throat> you ever saw, it is a, an Olympic game on which... I think sometimes it's, I think it's three runners or five runners, and there's a baton. I don't know what the name of that race is, but I watched, I actually run that race a couple of times, on which you run to a certain distance, and when you get there, your friend was there, or the person that's running in your team grabs, you pass the baton to that, and the other person keeps going. Well, it is, if you look at that from a living perspective, from a life perspective, you can understand that we too, we, as Christians, we are passing the baton to the next generation. 
we are passing the baton to the next generation. And we have to be careful. Uh, you know, it's so like how we live our lives. Do we live the Lord with a genuine heart? Do, do, we, do we shine as, 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 as lights with a world uh, that, needs, that desperately needs a Savior? And, and you know what? It's like but you say, Pastor, but I'm not perfect. I'm not talking about perfection because none of us is perfect here. None of us is perfect here. Who's perfect here? I'm not. You're not. We're not perfect. But is one thing. David was not perfect either. And David is passing the baton to his son right here. And David had much, especially in fatherhood, he, he, he kind of goofed up quite a bit there too. Uh, that, Absalom, his son, was one of them. Adonijah, another one. And, and many others that probably the Bible doesn't talk about that we don't know. But, but, but as a father, I believe that David had many failures. And you know what? Every father has some. You're looking at one. If I say I'm a perfect father, my kids will be laughing, you know, because it's just not true. I made mistakes. If I could go back in time and, and erase, you know, those mistakes, and if I had to, I want to relive those things, I wouldn't now relive certain things, things that I honestly made mistakes about. And everybody does. Nobody's perfect. But passing the baton with all of our imperfections that we have, passing the baton is something serious because think about it. We say we can say, oh, this new generation don't want nothing to do with God. Oh, this new generation don't want to do... You know what? If you go to my job, if you, if you had a privilege to work in my job, walk in my job in one, in one just given day, like today, I look behind me and I have like three 18 year, five 18-year-olds looking at me, look like my kids, dressed in white, you know, like, you know, they're soldiers. They look at me like, these are the people that are defending my freedoms, you know, like, Little kids. Well, you know, we think about it like, you know, so we say, listen, some is the thing. We as adults, we're going through the, the we are in the front face of life. We have to understand we are to pass the baton to the next generation. And by our own, the way we live, by the way we do, by the things, by the way we present ourselves in a world that desperately needs the Lord. I think the, new, the younger generation needs to see God in us. I believe that. God in us. Even if we are the only ones, which we're not, I say let them see God in in me so they can want for themselves the same thing. That's one thing I keep teaching the kids in the back, the young kids in the back is like, listen, it's not about the God of your father or your mother or your grandfather or your grandpa or or the God of the... It's the relationship you have with your God. It's you and your God. When we grasp that, the Bible becomes a unique book because now is my relationship between my God, me and Him. I share Him with others. I praise Him with others. But ultimately, when I open this Bible, when I read this Bible and study this Bible, is now is my relationship between my God. It's me and my God. When I have devotion time, it's me and my God. Is that relationship? So in that, that dynamic living, in that way of living, the way I uh, have the God in my life, that's the God that I want to pass the baton to somebody else and say, listen, you can have the same God that I have and have a relationship with him. And, and David over here, because David is a man after God's own heart, and he's instructing his son as an ex-king of Israel, and he gives him warnings here about how to go about this passing the baton of life. So in every generation, words are powerful. You believe that? Words are powerful. You can destroy people with your words, or you can build them up. 
You know, and all of us have, this, have that potential. All of us here, or every human being on the face of the earth, has the power to destroy people with their words or to build people up. We have the same, all of us, because all of us have a tongue to speak. So even in this generation in which many people lie without hesitation, this generation of ours, words are still powerful, especially when is the last word spoken by a loved one who is about to depart from this world. You remember someone that spoke the last words to you before the party and you hold it dear to you? I remember my last words my dad talked with me about. Still remember, it rings in my ears. Why? Because it was his last words. And right here we see David speaking his last words to his son. So in the, in the, in the, I'm sorry, in the first verses of chapter 2 uh, of 1 Kings, we see David speaking to his last words to his son Solomon. Solomon. So they are words of concern, of the concerned father for a young man that was about to take on a nation. David knew the task because David been there. He been the king for 40, 40 years, I believe. You know what? Now, now Solomon's coming. He knew that he was going to pass the baton of responsibility and weight to his son, a young kid. And he probably thought, you're not ready for this. So David knew the responsibility that was laying on the shoulders of his young Solomon. And as a concerned father, he leaves him with words of wisdom and words of instruction. I believe that any concerned father would share words of wisdom and words of concern with any one of his children in his dad bad if he could. We just don't know. You know, some people have the opportunity to do that. Others don't. You know, we never know when these are last uh, minutes or last seconds here on earth. So get this. The final words of a father to a son are profoundly significant, especially when a transfer of divine purpose and responsibility are involved here. King David had some advice for his son Solomon as he passes the baton uh, to him. And when, and when this time drew near, he charges son Solomon to, the spiritual, to be spiritually strong, obedient, and faithful. Sounds like a wise father, right? To give him advice, you know, about be strong, spiritually strong, be obedient to your Lord, be faithful to Him. So get this, if you want your children to keep their feet on the ground, put some responsibility on their shoulders. Responsibility is not a curse. My, my father gave me responsibilities when I was pretty young. Uh, you need to go split wood in the backyard for your mother. Uh, and like that, like I, that was the words, and I was in the backyard splitting wood, you know. And some of those, those logs were really heavy, and you were kids. Uh, but the responsibilities, you know, it's good to have. Responsibility is not a curse. Responsibility is something that we learn to have. Responsibility is great ingredients that make upright responsible men. I'll give you an example. We had a job. I talk about my job because that's what I work in. i give you an example. This uh, is what we do. This is a critical system that we're working on. And every time if I work on and I'm going to pass it to somebody else, I close the whole job up. I mean, every opening in that job is, is capped and tagged with special stickers that we have. And so it, we keep clean the whole system inside. If it goes to somebody else, that's somebody, that, well, the person's responsibility to open the job, do whatever he does. And when he's done, does the same thing. Close it up. Every hand that that job goes through does the same thing. 
Well, we had a wonderful welder there that did, did the work in the job, left it on all night, and went home. The next day, of course, a bunch of people around that thing because now we have to cut the whole thing apart because dust went inside that thing. Air dust, you know, it travels through. You know what he said? It's not my job, it's that guy's job. And everybody look, look at him and like, do you have five or six heads? How many heads do you got? Who worked in the job last? I did, but it's not my job. Now, shouldn't you close the job? Even then, I usually work in the job. You open up, you close it before you leave. Everybody knows that. You see, people run out of those. They, they don't want to be responsible for those things. They shove it on somebody else. But I tell you, responsibility is a good thing to have. So responsible, responsible people, uh, uh, irresponsible people walk away, make excuses so that they don't have to deal with responsibilities. There's quite a bit uh, that what's going on in our day today. So irresponsible people, listen to this, are not reliable people. We have the tendency to think that even uh, that, even that that's, uh, uh, speak that, uh, to young people that when we say young people are irresponsible. Let me put it this way. I know a lot of young people who are very responsible. A lot of them. They are very responsible. Uh, let me put it this way. I know a lot of old people that are very re- irresponsible either. It goes in every, you know, in every, young and old. They are those who are responsible, those who are irresponsible. So David, David became a, a real man. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, David became a real man, uh, a, good, a good king because he was a man after God's own heart. And he was a responsible king. He was. So yes, I understand it is uh, very, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, his boy was very young here. And of course, it's a concern by the father of how Solomon is going to take care of the kingdom as a young man. But you know, anyway, he passes the baton to him and he gives him, give him some words of wisdom here to follow. I'll tell you what, when people give, us, give words of wisdom to us, we should take into consideration. Is they good or they're not good? Because is is one thing. Sometimes somebody is talking to to me, or I put me, a person is talking to me. If I have my mind made up already, you know how the words come, the way you speak to me is blah, 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 and goes that way, blah, 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 because then I already have my mind made up. But if I take in consideration what you're saying, I'm going to look at you, I'm going to listen to you. Then I can say, oh, it's good, but I don't, but you know, you're taking consideration what was said. That's why communication is very good, because when you communicate, we look at each other's eyes, we communicate back and forth, and we can understand each other. When a person has their mind made up, they do not listen. So let's look at this tonight from several points, uh, several points uh, passing the baton. Number one, we see the Father's presence, the Father's presence. Look at verse, actually, let me read a couple things here. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Ephesians 4, 6, uh, 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we live in a time in history on which, in the mind of many people, or many uh, people, uh, fatherhood is not that important. So many kids are raised in this country without any father at all. It don't matter what societies may think, it is, that is outright wrong. I believe every child needs a father and a mother. 
They're very important. A mother cannot be a father and a mother at the same time. Neither father can be a father and a mother. I don't care how much they try. I mean, they can try as the best they can. And many have. You know, and many have. But, you know, it, it makes a big difference in, you know, when a child have a father and a mother that cares. So I think every father has the responsibility to teach his boys to be responsible, honest, and godly people. That's why even today, my kids, I don't care how old they are. If I see them doing something that I think is wrong and ungodly, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call them up and say, I don't agree with you. And if they don't like what I said, yeah, that's too bad. You know what? But I'm a father and I'm always going to be a father. And I don't mean that I'm going to tell them what to do because I don't have the authority to do that. But I have, I have uh, the, the freedom to go tell them, you know what, this is the way I feel about it. So they know. So if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. But anyway. <laughs> so uh, let's, le- let's read through some statistics here and find out just how incredibly important the dad's role is simply for, is, is, is good for children to become well-adjusted adults. Look at this. This is statistics. All right? 43% of U.S. children live without their father. This is the Department of Censors that I took this from. Uh, 63% of teen suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five, uh, five times the national average. Uh, uh, I, I got this from a, a source of Department of Health. Uh, 90% of all runaways are, uh, and homeless children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the national average. Uh, 80% of rapists and with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 14 times the national average. So 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father in the home. Uh, this is not my thing. This is, I took this for some, to give you some of this information. 71% of all high school dropouts come fatherless homes. 75% of all adult, uh, adolescent patients in chemical and abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come fa- comes from fatherless homes. Well, as you can see, and I have a little bit more right here. So daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers, uh, more likely to have children as teenagers, more likely to have prematerial birth, that goes up to 92%, uh, more likely to get divorced themselves. So 85% of youth in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. So fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times more likely to need help for emotional and behavioral problems. So children are involved, uh, are involved uh, with fathers are more confident better able to deal with frustrations, better able to gain independence and their own identity and have their own identity, more likely to mature into compassionate adults, more likely to have a high self-esteem, more sociable and more secure as infants, less likely to show signs of depression, less likely to commit suicide, more, more uh, 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 sympathetic. Uh, boys have, uh, have been shown to, to be less aggressive and, and, and adolescent girls are, like, are less likely to engage in sex. So you see right here that a father in the home makes a big difference. Or a father's presence in the life of a child makes a big difference. So homes need dads. It needs moms. 
And you live in a, in a nation on which are very broken because the, the, the divorce rate in America, it is horrendous. So fatherhood is a, uh, a vitally important in the lives of children. It is, a, it is unfortunate that many young women today have the role of father and mother because the father is so irresponsible they're not even in the li- involved in the life of their children. So actually many of them have no involvement at all in the life of their children. So mother becomes father and mother at the same time. So in our passage of Scripture, God teaches us a great lesson on becoming a man from, from this man David. So this man David is given his son instruction here. Like I said, David has many flaw, flaws like we do. No, he's no perfect father out there, but David was there, giving instruction to his son. Number two, we see the father's words. The father's words. Look at verse two. And I go of all the way of the earth... Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Strong words right here for David, as he says to his son. He's about to die. He knows he's dying. And he says, he says to him, be strong and be a man. So David was, was about to pass the baton of leadership of a nation to his son Solomon here. But before he does, he has the opportunity, or the Lord gave him the opportunity, to speak to his son in a very serious manner. In the closing days of David's life, he wanted to leave his son, son's words of wisdom that would help him direct his life as he matured into a, a man. So Solomon had to learn that, that what a man was to, was, was to, what kind of man he needed to be to be a king over a nation. He had to learn what a godly man was to bring the blessings of God into his family and his kingdom. So what did David mean when he told his, uh, told his son, show, show yourself a man? In verse 2, turn with me to the book of Genesis. We go to the book of Genesis. Uh, so God originally gave man what uh, some call the, the four rule of manhood in Genesis. And I'm going to go there. Go to Genesis chapter 2. So in the beginning, God created, uh, and that is the nature of our God, is creativity. He's a God that creates everything that we know and see. But we'll actually go to Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Genesis 2 verse 7. And let's see what the Lord says there in, in the book of creation. And look what it says in verse 7. It says there, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the dust of the ground, and breathed in his nostrils the bread of the breath of life, and man became a what? living soul. So God created a man in his own image, and he became a living soul. God created man for a purpose. What are the, this purpose? What is the purpose? What is the purpose why God created man? God created man so we can live a life in this earth and give him glory for the life that he gave us. I hope that you give glory to God each and every day. What is, this, what is the specific reason, the role, the roles God created the man? Look at verse Genesis 2.15. Look at verse 15 there. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. You see there... You know what God gave to man after he created man? He gave him responsibility. Look what it says there. He gave him responsibility. A man was not only called to steward the land's resources, but also to steward information. So remember, Eve had had not been formed yet. And yes, God gives Adam a responsibility to take care of the garden for him. So you see, 
Our God is a God that calls us to work, not calls us, doesn't call us to be lazy. So responsibility is a good thing to have. So I'm going to tell you that this, uh, uh, you this, and I want you to pass it on to teach it to others. Pretty much what the Lord's saying here. So inside of every godly man beats the heart of a mentor. You get this. I think, I don't know if this is in your outline, but uh, if not, but this, uh, just give you the statement. Inside of every godly man beats the heart of a mentor. Godly men don't just want to get there. They want to get others there as well. A person that is a godly person, that loves people, loves to tell people, teach the people the truth, and tell people good things to, so that they can exceed. So verse 17 concludes... Uh, uh, with this strong warning, uh, Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest, therefore thou shalt surely die. So it's another responsibility that God tells Adam right here. You do not do that. That's responsibility. He was to tell his wife, you don't touch that tree, because God said so. So Adam was clearly warned of a potential danger here. He was, he was, uh, uh, it was his role to be alert, to be on guard, to stand, watch over herself and his family. So inside every godly man beats the heart of a guardian. This impulse leads men to war in defense of their homes and families. Verse 18 in, uh, introduces a new character into this comic, cosmic drama right here. Look at verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. So Adam was given Eve to satisfy the deep longings for companionship. In, more general, in a more general sense, men were created to be in community. Listen, folks, we were not created to be in an island alone. Some people say, I can live in the island by myself. I wonder how long you would live there. We like that movie with that guy that had a, some type of a football or whatever that was, and he called him what the name was? I forgot the name of the movie that he was in the island lost, and what is it? Um, with Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks, yeah. He, yeah, he began to, he, he, the guy was so lonely. <laughs> he, he, made a, he, uh, he had a make-believe friend, and he put him all over the place, and he used to talk to him because there was nobody else to talk with. Folks, we were not created to be alone, but to, have, to be in community. In community. You can live by yourself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying live in community. Like right here, we are a community of believers. So, so Adam was given Eve to satisfy his, deeping, uh, 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 his deep longing for companionship. So in a more sense, like I said, men were created to be in community. So inside every godly man beats the heart of companion. Well, what fun it is to conquer the whole world if she doesn't notice. Something went wrong in the garden, though. You know, you, know, you want to see a guy, most men, are uh, 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 sad and discourages when they do something so happily and uh, the spouse doesn't take notice and they go, oh, she doesn't care. <laughs> Brother, that happens to you? <laughs> None of this happened to you? I guess to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's listening. You got to say no. All right. Nancy, he said no. <laughs> uh, so after ate, Eve ate the apple or apple, whatever fruit that was, God asked the question to Adam. Look at what it says in verse, Genesis 3.8. And they heard the voice of the Lord, God walking in the garden of the, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of, of, God, uh, uh, of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. Get this. 
God was not confused about Adam's location. It's not like, you know, when God called him, it's not like the Lord didn't know where he was. He knew exactly where he was because God is all-knowing. So the question was more more profound uh, uh, here than where are you, Adam? Adam here was, uh, uh, where uh, where was, pretty much what the Lord was saying to him here, says, Adam, where was your influence as a leader when Eve and, and the serpent were chatting under the tree? What were you doing? Were you taking a nap? Were you sleeping? Did you ignore them? Adam, where was you supposed to be the guardian of your family? I created you to protect her. What did you do? Where did, where did the mentoring process break down right here, Adam? Where was the faithful companion when Eve needed you the most? Adam failed miserably. The human race failed with him after that, and men have been frustrated ever since. So the four callings of God into a man's heart are leadership, guardianship, mentorship, and companionship. So this is how God defines real manhood. Solomon was to face David's death by adopting the sense of David's life, a walk with the Lord living with purpose for God. See, is the picture of a godly man. You want to know that? That is what it is right here. Is, 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 uh, is, uh, Leadership, guardianship, mentorship, companionship. Number three, we see the father's warning. The father's warning. David was a great king in Israel, for sure. But because it was, it was a great king, doesn't mean that it was, there was not issues in the kingdom that needed to be resolved. David was not going to resolve those issues, but as he passes the baton, he gives Solomon warning and instructs him how to go about these certain individuals that he was leaving behind. You see, I think it's wise of this father to tell Solomon, listen, you're taking the reins of a nation here. You're taking the reins of a nation. These are the people that you need to watch out. Even though we say, well, he had a good reign, uh, David as a king. Yes, he did. But, this, but because he was a great king didn't mean that there was not problems in there. We say like this. Oh, so-and-so has a good life. So-and-so has a good life. They don't have any problems. Let me tell you this way, folks. Everyone have problems. Everyone have issues. And as long as we live in this world, all of us always have issues. Letter A, we see the poor leader. The poor leader. He, 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 we're going to see this from verse, 20, verse 13 of our text to verse 25. Adonijah. That's one of David's sons. Even though David didn't say nothing uh, to Solomon about his brother, Adonijah, he knew that there was a great potential for Adonijah to try to harm Solomon. And Solomon knew that very well. Adonijah is the oldest son now alive. And Adonijah wanted to to be the king. He knew for a while that, that Solomon was to be the king appointed by God. But he wanted to be the king. You know what? That's someone that... Solomon needed to take in or keep an eye on because Adonijah was not a nice guy. You see, there are people who we try to live at peace with, but we know that we must stay alert and on guard with them because there is always a great potential for disaster if we associate with them. Folks, let me put it this way. There are people that we try to get along with. You agree with that? There are people in our neighborhoods, maybe neighbors, maybe even family members, 
maybe co-workers. We try to get along with them, but we know the potential right there. We know how they are. And if we open up this great potential of harm, because they're the people that try to take advantage of situations. I work with many people like that, and I was like, friendly, friendly, but that's how you stay there. I stay here. You know, the Bible says, if possible, leave peaceful with all men. And some people, it's just like, like we have to keep a, a little distance from it. Look, Solomon is here, is like this. Solomon knew that his brother, his own brother, he had to keep an eye on him because he had the potential to harm him. So Adonijah could not pass the fact that he, sh- he should be the king, not Solomon. And then the, these verses, we notice that even uh, uh, Solomon noticed about his brother's schemes right here. So poor leaders leave people gassing whether they are saved to be with or not. Poor leaders can confuse the standard of truth. Poor leaders hide behind others and lead others into wickedness. Poor leaders force God's, lead, uh, God's leaders to defend what God has said and had done. So I tell you what, this guy, Adonijah, was not a good leader, was not a good person to follow, and he, and he was not somebody that, that Solomon wanted to pat himself after and say, I'll go after you, brother. You're my older brother. Anyway, I'm going to look after you. Isn't that what usually kids do? They look after their older brother or they, you know, their older sibling. Well, Adonijah had nothing here for him to look to. Actually, if Adonijah could, he would get rid of Solomon in a, in a heartbeat because his eyes was on a throne. In Adonijah's eyes... Uh, uh, the throne was more important, or he loved the throne more, or he wanted the throne more, than actually he cared about his brother. And Solomon knew that. Now, folks, let me put you this. This was in a family. There was two brothers. But right here, Solomon, rightly so, Adonijah desired to marry Abishar, and, and we're going to look at this as part of his brother's ongoing attempt to take over the kingdom of Israel. We will look at this as we move along. So listen, please. In those days, taking possession of a king's, listen to this, concubines, it was a declaration of one's right to the throne. That's why, you know, when Absalom did that to his father, it was like, I want your throne, my father. That's literally what he was doing. In public, he did that with, with Absalom did that with uh, uh, David's concubines. And now we see, we're going to look at this passage as we move on to the next chapters. We're going to see that, that Adonijah wants to marry somebody here and actually asks his, uh, 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 Bathsheba to go ask Solomon for the hand in marriage of this young lady. And of course, we're going to see what Solomon has to say. So in judgment for Adonijah, Solomon, uh, Adonijah requests Solomon said, actually I have the verses right here. First Kings chapter 2 verse 23, look what it says. Then look at verse 23 and verse 25. Then King Solomon swear by the Lord saying, God, to do, do so to me and more also if Adonijah am not spoken, is, is, uh, uh, spoken this word against his own life. And King Solomon sent uh, by the hand of Benaiah and the son of Jodiah and, and he fell on him that he died. You see, when, when Adonijah came, and you can see the intentions right here, as a brother, what he wanted is the throne. And by asking that, that concubine hand in marriage, he's literally declaring war against his brother. And his brother said, you spoke your last words. I have my eyes on you. And you know what? You will die because of that. And he did. 
The tensions between Adonijah and Solomon had been long-standing. Adonijah was the older brother Solomon, uh, uh, than Solomon, and therefore under normal circumstances, in line of be, uh, before Solomon for the throne, of course, but God promised that Solomon would be king. So Adonijah was clearly not, uh, not done in his attempts to become king. His plans to inquire Abishag uh, as a wife was seen for what he was. Uh, it was a threat to Solomon's rule. And Adonijah's plan cost him his life. What a poor leader that he was. Now let it be, we see a poor mentor. A poor mentor. We see Abiatar right here. Look, it says, says, folks, there are are many poor mentors out there. There are many poor mentors. Be careful. Be careful to whom you listen to. And be careful to who you try to shape your life after to. Because there's a lot of poor mentors out there. There are a lot of deceivers out there. A lot of deceivers out there. Actually, today, I was, I was these young kids, I, I was doing a job, and there was about three of them next to me working, and, and they were talking about somebody right here that is a great deceiver, and all three got deceived by them, and they come ask me questions, and I said, well, that's what happened when you guys believe in everything. You watch on social media. <laughs> that's what they did. This guy has a, has, a, has a YouTube channel. I know I say many times here, be careful when you watch YouTube channels. And this guy came out with these big business involvement and stuff. And those three fellows fell head down, all three of them, because they were listening to the same guy. And I'm listening to what they're saying. I said, how do you guys believe that stuff? I never heard this guy. And I can tell he's, he's, he's just a, a user. And he used both of those three guys. They lost quite a bit of money because of that. So be careful who you listen to because there's a lot of poor mentors, a lot of deceivers out there today. Be careful. There are people who like to sit down and do nothing and you take your money from you and take everything you get, you got. Believe me. So poor mentors. So be careful to whom you listen to. Be careful to whom you got, you got your counseling from. Oftentimes those people, lives are not even perfect or their lives are a perfect mess, but they, they, they want to go to try to fix your, your life. So Abishai was the son of uh, Amimelech who served as the priest of Nod, 2 Samuel 21.1, Mark 2.26, until he had the other priests uh, who were murdered by King Saul. So by the, uh, uh, being the only son of Abishai to escape the massacre at Nod, Abiatari had fled to David and was promised protection by the future king. We see this in 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 21. So when Absalom rebelled against his father and attempt to usurp the throne, Abishab remained loyal to David. So uh, Abiatari right here was among uh, those who fled the capital city with David. You see this in 2 Samuel 15. So uh, uh, Zadog and the Levites carried the Ark of the Covenant, and Abiatar offered sacrifice until all the people had finished leaving the city. Although David admired the loyalty and faithfulness of the priests, he ordered them to return to the city with the Ark. This, uh, this promise, this proved, I'm sorry, uh, uh, proved helpful because they were then able to send word to David about Absal- Absalom's plan, of course, in 2 Samuel 15. David had restored, uh, was restored to his throne and Abiatar to his priestly office. Things changed uh, as David's son Solomon took the throne. Abiatar was not loyal to the new king. He was not loyal. He was loyal to his father, but he was not loyal to the new king. He was loyal to Adonijah. 
We saw this in the previous uh, message we pre- I preached here. So one of Sol- Solomon's uh, son uh, action was to remove Abiatar from the priestly office here. This fulfilled the Lord's word of judgment over Eli and his descendants, which impact Abiatar since he was related to Eli. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and now in 2 Kings chapter 2. It was only because of the priest's loyal service to David that Solomon did not kill him. So Solomon told Abiatar right here, look at verse 26. And Abiatar the priest said to the king, Get thee to Anathar and, and unto thine own fields, for thou art worthy of death. But I will not, not at this time put thee to death, because thou bearest the ark of the Lord, the Lord God, before David my father, and because thou hast afflicted uh, in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon trusts Arabiatar from being priest unto the Lord, and that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which is speaking concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So Abiatar lived uh, uh, most of his life in faithful service to the Lord, but he did not finish well. You see, this is a man that was loyal to David, but he didn't make a mistake. He followed Adonijah. What a wrong mentor. I don't think that's a mentor that David wanted to tell his son Solomon. You follow that guy. You follow that? You see, is the wisdom of a father right here. Is a young man that is about to take on a nation, and the father said to him, you do not follow this man. You do not want this man in your life. You take him out of your life because this man is going to corrupt you. He did that before even Solomon became king. He was for Adonijah, not for Solomon. And, he is, and David right here gives him some words of wisdom to his son right here. You see, bad mentors often come from bad mentors. So Solomon knew that a bad mentor had existed in his family generations ago, the house of Eli. So bad mentors, when we have a bad mentor, what they do? They lead us the wrong way. That's what they do. They lead us the wrong way. That's why, you know, I'll be careful with the people you hang around with. You say, well, you know, I can't handle it. Be careful what kind of friends you pick and choose because those friends can contaminate you. We say, no, they don't. Yes, they do. I live long enough to tell you that. Any folks know that. You ring a, a, a hang around the, the, with the wrong crowd before you know you're acting like a wrong crowd. It, it happens to all of us. You say, oh, I'm old enough. I can handle. No, we can't. No, we can't. We will fall like you know, many others do, and when we begin to justify things in our mind, we begin to do it. So be careful about you want Listen. We want to find people that are godly, love the Lord, walk with the Lord, and when you approach them and you talk to them, they're going to give you words of wisdom. They're going to, they're going to help you. They're going to direct you in what? the ways of the Lord. I'll tell you what. I know many people, many people. But you know what? I know some people that I, if I call them and I have any problem, I know where they're going to direct me in the ways of the Lord. That's what they're going to do. They're going to say, well, you know, the Lord says this, and the Lord says that, the Lord says this. You know, they go, oh, I don't want to hear from like this. I want to, what do you think? No, no, no. You know what? That's words of wisdom. That's what they do, words of wisdom. So we need to look for good mentors. Even when we're doubtful in life, when we like make, make, make a decision, we don't know what to do. Consult with a good godly mentor. 
And that's what David says, right? You don't want to hang around with this guy. Get rid of this guy. And then Solomon did it. God gives him wisdom. And Solomon said, you out of your office. You're done. I don't want you around me. You know, folks, let me put it. I work in management. All right? I work in management before. You know what a good manager do, does? I'm not trying to say I was the best manager. You know, you, you, you put people that you trust around you. You know what you do? People that are dependable. People that you know they're working for you. They know that, you know, they're, they're not trying to stick you in the back. You know who they, who they are, and you, you trust them. I used to tell my workers, I said, listen, I'm not going to sit here and watch you guys work. I have better things to do but to, besides try to see if you, if you, you know, skipping work on me. You know, I trust you guys. And I did. I didn't lie, didn't lie to them. You know what? I'll go away. Did my meetings. Did my things. Came back and they were working, producing. You know, sometimes they were laughing and joking. And, and to, you know what? When, when a, a manager looks at one guy that is because he's laughing for two minutes, gets so angry, that's a bad manager. I'm sorry. See why? Because, you know, we're not machines. You know, sometimes you say, somebody says something and we all laugh about it before, you know, everybody's working again. Hey, that's how it is. But you know what? I work for four, people can say, oh, listen, I, I work in management for 14 years, and I love my workers. You know, because I treat them with respect and dignity. I didn't try to make, you know, whatever, deceive them. I did not. But you know what? Because you know what? It's good to be a good mentor. Number, let us see. We see the wrong general. The wrong general, Joab. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 5. Whosoever thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zerariah, whatever that name is, <laughs> did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abdon, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, uh, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace, in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girl that was about his loins and, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Verse 6, Do therefore, according to thy wisdom, look what it says, and let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. You know what literally what, what, what David said to his son? Get rid of him. He's not good. That was David's general. David could say, well, this guy served me for many years. That's what you want. He's going to be right next to you. David knew that this guy committed murder twice. Murder twice. Two officials that David had. You know what? David didn't forget that. And David said to his son, you know this guy, Joab? Get rid of him. Joab may stay next to David as a general, but he didn't fit to be a leader in Solomon's reign, especially when he takes his brother Adonijah's side, which he did. You know, when Adonijah was calling himself king, where was Joab? With Adonijah. David was in his death bed. It's interesting right here. David is in his death bed, and it shows how good of a son Adonijah was. David was dying. Should Adonijah be at his father's bed in his last moments? Isn't that what a good son does or a good daughter? Mom or dad is passing away. I'm going to be there for them in his last minutes. Isn't that what we do? I mean, it is. I mean, we can be miles away, but they, our heart is there. But let's say if you're around, you just run to that moment. Guess what? 
As death is dying, Adonijah is celebrating. He's the new king. Joab is the general of David. Where's Joab doing over there? Shouldn't Joab be next to the, his king? No, Joab is over here with Adonijah. Where's Solomon? Nowhere to be seen. Where's Bathsheba? Nowhere to be seen. All the brothers and sisters over there with Adonijah, you convince all of them except one. You know why? Because he knew that God said that Solomon is to be the next king. But you know what? If he became the king, Solomon would be dead. So was Bathsheba. Where is Joab? With Adonijah. You think Solomon won a general like that? That's a good start. If you say, oh, I forget everything. You know. See, for you, for us, listen, for us, if you're in a place of leadership, for us to have people under us, got to be people that you trust. Got to be people that know they're loyal to you. Otherwise, how can you function? That's, what, that's the problem of Solomon right here. So when Solomon came to the throne, Adonijah was a... Uh, I'm sorry, go back again a little bit. Joab stayed next to David as a general, but he didn't fit to be the leader in Solomon's reign, especially when he takes his brother Adonijah's side. So when Solomon came to the throne, Adonijah was afraid for his life and fled to the horns of the altar at the tabernacle for shelter. Solomon permitted him to find sanctuary there and forgive him his offense and said that if he proved himself a worthy man, he would live without further problems. But every, uh, very soon he began plotting against him. And of course, we already mentioned here a little, here a little bit that, of course, Adonijah lost his life because of that. Number one, we see fear. Joab was one of David's general. And we'll say, who was Joab? Joab was a man of war. Joab killed many people, murdered a couple, killed many people. Joab was a man used to wars. But guess what? He's fearful right here now. One could think that this guy was fearless, but it's not what we see here. His sin caught him up and caught, him, caught up with him, and now he knows that he is about to lose his life. Joab ran to the altar at the tent of the Lord. Uh, so Adonijah uh, uh, did the same thing, and he was successful. But of course, he had no biblical right to enter to the holy place and lay hold of the, on the horns of the altar. But he, he was desperate, and then he did. Look what it says in, look at verse 28. Then tidings, tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, to he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught, the horns of the, uh, caught on the horns of the altar. So after two uh, uh, premeditated murders, and now a fill plot, his sin has come home to him. Listen, folks. With the Bible, just paraphrasing right here, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, Adonijah did all kinds of stuff. Murdered two people. Plot against Solomon. You know what? His sin caught up with him. His sin caught up with him. And you know what? When, when sin caught up with him, he was afraid. Now he's running to the altar because now he, uh, he thinks that he's going to be free. So there's no reference to any passion of this man for God that we can read, that we can discern about it. But there was a record of rebellion and murder from this man. So Solomon knew that he was, uh, was, Ill, uh, illegal, uh, uh, he was illegally at the altar and ordered him 
executed. So Benaiah tried first to get him to come out of the area, verse 29, but Joab decided he would die at the altar, verse 30. Then, get this, Joab found no sanctuary even though he laid hold of the horns of the altar of God's house. Because an outward show with no inner change means absolutely nothing to God. People can, can have a form of godliness, the Bible says, but inside can be just pure wickedness. This man, it was evil to the bone right here. Even though I'm going to run to the altar, I'm going to be protected there. Who oh, no. So they were men who put their trust in religion and all different kinds of things. People do it all the time. Some trust in the horns of sacraments. Man with no walk with God, no passion to have one, come to some religious sacrament communion table looking for a blessing. Our country is full of people like that who believe that a priest or a pastor can dispense God in a wafer uh, to a person who has no intention of truly surrendering to Jesus. There are all kinds of people like that. Oh, I go to the church and they give me, put a little bread in my mouth and I'm holy for about a week or maybe a month or two. That's just a form of godliness. That's an outward appearance of godliness. So we see, number one, the claim of, I think it's, is this, I don't know how to say it, asylum, asylum, asylum? Asylum, okay, asylum. So look what it says there in verse 30. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will, I will die there. And Benaiah brought the king's word again, uh, saying, Thus saith Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, has, Do as he said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed, shed for me and from the house of my father. Here's one thing. Solomon was a very young man right here. And Solomon started right. He listened to the words of wisdom that came from the mouth of whom? David, his father. You don't want nothing to do with this guy, Joab. So Solomon didn't even give him a chance. You know what? Just go and kill him. He's done. So he claimed he wanted to uh, hold to something right here. But you know what? Solomon was not going to budge on that. Joab was guilty of murder and disloyalty to the king, to King David and King Solomon. Joab defiled, uh, defiled uh, both Benaiah and Solomon by refusing to come out of the, of the sacred enclosure, but Solomon was not to be treated in such arrogance manner by a man who was obviously a, a traitor and a murderer. It's important to understand that Solomon wasn't simple acting in revenge in the place of his father's David. Solomon explained that the death of Joab took away the stain of the innocent blood that Joab had shed when he killed Abner and Amasa. See, it was not like revenge from his father. He was not acting this way. He was actually bringing justice to a man that murdered two people. Talking about a wise king right here. Let it be. We're almost done. You see, Shimei is daring. Shimei is daring. We see this in verse 36 to verse 38. He's this guy Shimei here. The king, uh, verse 36, and the king sent uh, and called Shimei and said unto him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and go not forth thence any hither. For, if, for it shall be that one day thou goest out and passest over the broke kingdom, thou shalt know for certain that thou shalt surely die. 
thy blood shall be upon thine own head. And Shimei said unto the king, uh, The saying is good, as my lord the king had said, so will, I, so will thy servant do. And Shimei dwell in Jerusalem many days. Let me tell you, folks, life is filled with boundaries, isn't it? The world that we live in is full of boundaries. Some are important and others are not so important. The government places boundaries on our lives through various laws and regulations. Society places boundaries in our lives as well. And religion places boundaries upon the lives of people by telling them what they can do. Even EBBC have certain standards and boundaries, things that we cannot cross. So the list could literally go on forever. But the truth is uh, of the matter is this. Everywhere you go in this world, you, you are confronted with boundaries. Well, this guy right here, uh, Shimei, is faced by David with boundaries. You say, you stay there. And if I see you there, you know that what's going to happen to you. Why David was so harsh on this man? You know who Shimei was? David, his father, told Solomon about Shimei. He said, don't take care of this guy. This is the guy when, when David was running from Absalom, was waiting for one of the red Remember the message, the red lights? He was at one of the red lights throwing stones or rocks at David and cursing him with all kinds of curses. And when he came back, he tried to, you know what? This is the man that David said, this is the guy. And Solomon knew well, and Solomon said, you know what, you go over there, I'm putting you in, like, in that area, you stay there. If you leave that area, you will die. And he said, that's good news, I can live there, I can live there. So our text presents many, uh, the man, the, the name by Shimei, his life is a perfect example of a person who knew the boundaries, step over them, and pay a terrible price for it. You know, folks, I tell you this. Let me go back here a little bit. God in His Word and in His will places many boundaries and upon our lives. When we step over one of God's boundaries, there's always a heavy price to pay. He is patient, yes. He is loving. He is full of mercy and, and grace. But God has His limits. To cross a boundary that God has drawn seals your fate and forces you to pay a high penalty for crossing the line. I tell you what, the same thing with our society. There are boundaries. If we cross it, we'll pay hard for that. I mean, we can do it. and we, oh, I've been doing this for many years. It will be a time that we'll be caught. And we will pay a heavy price for it. You know what? Shimei right here was told that. This is your boundary, Shimei. You stay there. If you cross it, you will pay a heavy price. Number one, he defied God, defiled God, uh, defied God, I'm sorry. As David was forced to leave Jerusalem, I'm going to tell you this, because of the rebellion of his son Absalom, he was followed by this man Shimei. Shimei is with the descendant of King Saul, and he held a strong dislike for King David. As he followed David, uh, Shimei threw stones at him and cursed David. And the phrase then, those verses cast on, refers to a stoning someone to death. It appeared that Shimei was trying to cause uh, harm or bodily harm to David. So the Bible says that he cursed him. It means that he treated him with contempt and dishonor. He, he disrespected the king. Goodness. You, uh, you know, uh, let's say uh, uh, the president walks by the street and you act like Shimei. 
and his body gods, see what his body gods would do to you if you do that. You know, I disrespecting the president. You know, I mean, I don't care if you like his policies or not. It's not the, 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 the question here. The question is, is disrespecting the, the, maximum, the authority of the land. Imagine, you know, if he, president uh, uh, walks by and then you were just cursing him and throw rocks at him. <laughs> what happened to you? Well, that's what this guy's doing here. He disrespected the king, the authority of the land. So, uh, so Shimei was guilty because he took a stand against God, against God's will and against God's plan. So after David is dead, Shimei demonstrates his genuine character and he pays a high price right here. In verse 36 to verse 38, he drains, he drains the line. Solomon tells Shimei that he may live, but to do so, he was to leave, uh, he was, uh, he was to leave uh, his hometown and move into Jerusalem. He can never leave the city or do so. If he, occur, if he were dead, he would be dead. So Solomon had a, had a very, uh, every right to do this. He was the king. He could have Shimei killed at right at that very moment. Instead, he extended his grace to Shimei and had David, his father, did it as well. Instead of keeping his side of the bargain, this guy disobeys the king. You know what? Solomon didn't turn back on his word. He paid what he said he would. He took care of him. We see this from verse 42 to verse 44. I'm not going to read it for a lack of time. You can read it on your own private time, but I'm not going to read for lack of time. But I conclude with this. Passing the baton. You know what? You and I and all of us here, and those of you online are much older, we have a responsibility for passing the baton to the next generation. You know what? And if, our la- if we have a chance to, to, to speak our last words to someone that is younger than us, maybe words of wisdom, and warning for them, guide them as we depart. We're not going to be present. They will continue. Words that they would guide them through life. David gave everything that Solomon needed to live a godly life, to be a man after God's own heart. But Solomon forgot to follow the instruction of his father as we look ahead. And you know what, folks? Some kids do that. They forget the words of their parents. And they do, and they reap the consequences after. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture tonight as we look through the book of uh, uh, First Kings, Lord. I just pray, Father, help us, especially the older ones here, the older ones online as well. Uh, as we continue to live, help us to be a godly testimony of you, Lord. As we pass the baton to the next generation, Lord, help us to do that by example, and the life that we live here on earth. I pray, Father, go with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.